Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got another Great slate of games here this weekend in college football. We've got Alabama LSU. We've got some big games out west, ACC, Big 12. We're going to talk about a bunch of those matchups here today. It'll all start at the very top. Saturday scouting, Ben Fennell's going to drop by. We'll talk about matchups. We've got a mock draft to break down. We'll also talk about some of those traits that matter to us at running back, starting running back. We'll talk about the, the traits that we look for at that position. After that, I caught up with Matt Brown, who does a great job covering college football for the athletic. We'll talk about uh, some of the players that have kind of uh, you know risen above expectations so far in this college football season and some guys that are more deserving of some more buzz. We'll talk about all about that with Matt and Mr. Relevant. We'll wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I, once again, battling here head-to-head on another weekly set of picks. Ross gained some ground on me last week, so uh, he'll, be, he'll be glad to hear that uh, once we get into that segment. As always, best way to throw us your support, go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us a comment, a question, a mock draft. We'll break it down next week right here on the show. Really appreciate everybody that has already taken some time to do it. That's our best gift that you can give us here in this holiday season. You go on again, Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave a rating, leave a comment. If you do it as a question, we'll answer it here on the podcast. All right, let's get into the top of the show. It's time to get into some matchups in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's break down some of this weekend's action here in Saturday Scouting as I welcome back Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, let's get into some of these big matchups, man. we got a big one. Uh, usually it's one of the games that I circle first on the college football calendar. Alabama, LSU played a different weekend this year. It was postponed a couple weeks ago due to COVID-19. It will be played on Saturday. Big one that, I, to me, like right off the bat, you look at is Devontae Smith versus Derek Stingley. So you got the star Alabama receiver going up against the star LSU corner. Stingley, just a true sophomore, kind of lit the college football world on fire last year in their championship season. He was a lockdown presence on the perimeter, made a bunch of big plays. I talked to a bunch of LSU defenders this uh, this past offseason. They just kind of raved about how natural he was uh, on the boundary for them and you know his ball skills and his instincts for such a young player and really competitive, embraced every challenge. Devontae Smith kind of beat him up a little bit last year. That was the one game where Stingley kind of got beat, got eaten up a little bit uh, in coverage. Obviously, one of those plays was uh, that kind of like looked at the sideline play and they kind of fooled the LSU defense and then threw it over the top. But uh, that's going to be a matchup to me that I'm really, really excited to kind of watch because Stingley is a next-level talent. Devontae Smith, as crafty as they come in college football, excited to see these two kind of go head-to-head here in this matchup. Yeah, did you see the spread on that game? I think it was a 29-point spread, which is wild considering a former, obviously, national champion and a rivalry game, Alabama-LSU. You don't typically see that type of line, but a fun game, a lot of prospects. And uh, while games are being uh, canceled all over the place, we have a couple games being created as well. That's right. Uh, One this morning, BYU, Coastal Carolina. Uh, coming with a 13th hour handshake to have a game this weekend. That means BYU, darling QB, Zach Wilson, going to head down to Coastal Carolina on that teal field and uh, see Teron Johnson, or excuse me, Teron Jackson, uh, one of the best pass rushers in the country, actually third in the country right now in pressures. Hmm. So, guy, it's been productive, uh, veteran player, senior presence. I think he's heading to the senior bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but a guy that Zach Wilson's definitely going to have to keep his eye on uh, and make sure he's not being hunted in the pocket. 
That's a, a great one. It's something quick, quick to throw into here. I'm glad that we were able to sneak that one in with BYU and Coastal being uh, confirmed uh, this morning. That's a good one to bring up. Another one I'll keep an eye on here, Florida, Tennessee. is going to be a fun one in the SEC. I mean, Florida is just playing at such a high level. Uh, you look at Tennessee, they've got talent on both sides of the football. I'll be interested to go back and watch this one later in the trenches between Trey Smith, the uh, the left guard for Tennessee, who uh, you know we we both have watched for a couple of years, and we love his ability to come off the ball, punish defenders, uh, move people in the run game. This is going to be one of those like you know big on big battles here between uh, Smith and then Florida's TJ Slayton, who uh, is a big presence on the interior. Uh, I know that people on that staff were really high on him coming into the year, thought that he could really kind of elevate himself into more of a national discussion. Really good against the run, still kind of untapped potential against the pass, but you know unstoppable force, immovable object kind of battle here between Smith and Slayton. Kind of an interesting one to watch in the trenches. Yeah, and I stand corrected. Teron Jackson not heading to the Senior Bowl. That was actually the Tulane kid, Cameron Sample, I was thinking about. Right. But Teron Jackson is graduated, redshirt senior, and could still find his way down to Mobile. No question. Uh, maybe with a big game on Saturday. Love that matchup there, Tennessee and Florida. A couple other ones may interest, interest people to know. Trevor Lawrence has never played Virginia Tech. Last time Clemson's huh. played them was 2017. That was Kelly Bryant. Uh, kind of a changing the guard of Virginia Tech's defense since Bud Foster has retired. It's now Justin Hamilton, Tracy Clay's uh, coaching the linebackers. Interesting group there. Just, uh, you know, a different type of defense for Trevor Lawrence to see. A, a team that likes to blitz, play a lot of man coverage. A couple of interesting players on the back end, like the uh, Divine Diablo, big yep. safety for Virginia Tech. And a Big Ten matchup. This linebacker for Michigan State. Antoine Simmons, where he's 34, he's athletic, spark plug, makes a lot of plays. I want to see him against these Ohio State running backs. Trey Sermon, Master Teague III, two very interesting prospects for the next level. Just want to see if Simmons can keep stacking these impressive games. They had a nice uh, defensive performance last week, nice win for Mel Tucker and his uh, new staff up there. And uh, just could be, a, could be a game to give Ohio State some trouble. I want to see Justin Fields have a little adversity, maybe get behind early in a game and uh, see how that goes. Yeah, I know you talked about Simmons earlier this week here uh, on the show. Certainly a matchup to keep an eye on there in the Big Ten. A big one for Ohio State for playoff purposes as well, uh, just to make sure that they play the game and kick off uh, (laughs) for them in terms of making it to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, All right, let's go to uh, our mock draft roundup. We obviously broke down Dane's mock draft, and that's a big one you need to go check out on The Athletic. We broke that down on Monday's show. But let's go to another one, and it's from our old friend Tony Pauline over at the Pro Football Network, uh, put out a new mock draft. We'll kind of do the same template that we did last week, Ben, where uh, we got a familiar name being mocked to the Eagles. It's a guy I just talked about in Devontae Smith, the Alabama receiver. Just the blurb here from Tony. I could see the Eagles taking the left tackle at this spot if they believe there's no hope uh, at that position with Andre Dillard. They do need a corner, but there's a big drop-off after Patrick Sertan. Aside from that, Devontae Smith is a tougher and more polished version of Jerry Judy. So that's the blurb uh, from Tony there on the selection of Devontae Smith at seventh overall. But what we'll do this week, uh, once again, like we did last week, let's just take three takeaways each and just kind of three picks that kind of made our, made us raise our eyebrows a little bit. Uh, and I'll, I'll kick things off. Tony kind of mentioned it there. Patrick Sertan goes in the top five ahead of the Eagles pick. He's got Sertan going to the Cowboys at number four. Remember they took an Alabama corner last year in Trayvon Diggs. They take Sertan ahead of Penny Sewell, uh, the left tackle from Oregon. Uh, what are your thoughts there on that one? I thought that was kind of interesting that they would take Sertan ahead of Penny Sewell. Yeah, Sertan seems to be cornerback one if you need a big press corner that can run and, you know, erase any receiver 
uh, from the opponent, but not a whole lot of people taking him ahead of this, you know, uh, prodigy tackle Penny Sewell out of Oregon. So I don't know if the Cowboys are particularly in the market for a left tackle with Tyron Smith. Uh, not sure of his health in the future, if they're yep. ready to kind of start planning for it. But um, two talented players there and just interested to uh, be reunited with Trayvon Diggs on the other side. A couple big Alabama That's corners. Right. Uh, I, I, to me, like I would look at that and say, you got to take Sewell uh, at that point. But I think, and I love Sertan. I mean, I love Sertan. I, I value him in the top 10, in the tight, yeah, as one of the best players uh, in this draft. But Sewell uh, at that position, I, I feel is just so, so important. Uh, what was your first takeaway? Uh, seeing Sean Wade as the second defensive back off the board, Patrick mm-hmm. Sertan uh, going off at four, and Sean Wade next. Uh, it seems like across the country, it's Caleb Farley and J.C. Horn that are kind of the darlings of uh, right after Patrick Sertan. But Sean Wade uh, squeezing in there. He's a veteran player at Ohio State. Plot spent a lot of time in the slot. People are kind of questioning his positional fit. If he could play outside corner, if he's a nickel, maybe move him to safety because of his size and physicality. Not a whole lot of people have him as the uh, second defensive back off the board. And might as well go right into my next point because in the first round, we have three corners and one general defensive back. So it goes Sertan, Sean Wade, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, and then Javon Holland squeezing in in the back end out of Oregon, who's a safety nickel uh, hybrid player. Not a whole lot of people have him in the first round uh, as well. So interested to see no J.C. Horn in the first round. There's a couple other players uh, in that conversation, maybe Elijah Molden, uh, and some others across the country, but interesting pecking order with the defensive backs. I thought that was a, a really interesting name, certainly for the, to sneak in there on the back end of round one, uh, Javon Holland from Oregon. Um, I'll tell you what, I was blown away. I was just kind of going through, all right, you know, top 10, top 15, top 20, a lot of familiar names, guys that we're used to. I love Purdue's Rondell Moore. Like, I really love his talent. I love what he people are kind of not really talking about him right now as a first round pick. He's small. He hasn't played a ton of football the last two years. Tony's got him at 13 to, to the Chicago bears. Uh, to me, and obviously Tony's not like going out on a limb by like, uh, you know, doing that on his own. He's hearing that Rondell Moore is valued that way uh, by people in the league. And to see that Rondell Moore uh, going in the top 15, uh, I think speaks volumes uh, about, you know, how people kind of view him at the next level. If he checks all the medical boxes, which yep. is really the the major part of his evaluation and report, he is worth every cent at 13, yep. maybe even earlier, Frank. Yep. Right. This is a kid that's rocked up, short, stocky, essentially a running back playing slot receiver, led the country in yards after catch two years ago when he was healthy in that prolific freshman year. He ran an official 4-3-3 in high school. That's hard to do. Your bodies just aren't mature yet at that stage to get to that level of explosiveness. So if he checks off all the medicals, I could even see him going in the top 10, friend. Yeah, I mean, two names I wrote down. I wrote down uh, Brandon Cooks is one I kind of settled in on, and I feel like he can be that kind of weapon. I mean, Cooks, I think Moore's got a little more yak juice than Cooks. I, Cooks a little more vertical juice, but yep. I think Moore can do a little bit more, maybe like a Debo. That's probably fair. Uh, what was your uh, your third takeaway? Two uh, two names. Hey, listen, friend, it's a deep, exciting tackle class once again. And we're getting names all over the place from Eichenberg flying up and um, uh, Jalen Mayfield at uh, Michigan getting yep. some love. Darishaw coming out of left field. Deontay Smith out of East Carolina is getting love now. And just tackles all over the place. You don't know where to put Samuel Cosme and uh, uh, Rashawn Slater. And there's tackles all over the country. Is Leatherwood a tackle or not? It's two more tackles here that we haven't seen in the first round a whole lot. Walker Little at Stanford missed all of last year. 
he seemed like he was a five-star prodigy, uh, started as a true freshman at Stanford, looked really good when he was on the field, going to have to check the medicals. And squeezing in the back end of round one at 28th is Rashid Walker at Penn State. Yep. I believe he's only a redshirt sophomore, young kid, but he is an absolute mauler. Put on his Ohio State tape. He was ready to battle those defensive ends. He looks to finish. He's lean. He's light. He's athletic. He's long. He uh, made some waves a couple weeks ago for a highlight play, little post-play uh, <laughs> extracurricular activity uh, on a Maryland defensive end, if I'm not mistaken. But That's a good way to put that, yeah. <laughs> two, two Walker boys there, Rasheed Walker, yep. Penn State, Walker Little at Stanford. Again, just speaking to the depth of the tackle position, it seems like we can – find seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 tackles that are worthy of first round selections. Yeah. I think that's a a good point to bring in. And one last one that really stood out to me. uh, And again, this kind of goes to the Rondell Moore thing of, you know, Tony, Tony talks with people all over the, the, the business. You know, he's talking to agents, he's talking to front office personnel, he's talking to scouts, he's talking to, you know, all over the place, obviously college and NFL. He's got the Packers at 29 taking Justin Ross, the Clemson wide receiver. Now, Justin Ross, to me, one of the wild cards in this class because he is a true blue-chip talent. If he is healthy, he is a top-10 pick in my mind. Yeah, I mean, like, close the door on it, no question. He is absolutely a top-10 player. But with that back injury, with that neck, with that neck injury, rather, you got to – I mean, there's, there, there are certain hurdles that he's going to have to clear, right, in order to be drafted uh, at that level. Now, Tony did say in the blurb about it, he called it a leap of faith in Justin Ross. Number one, getting cleared, then declaring, uh, and then, you know, clearing everything at the combine and with, uh, you know, private medical looks and all, and all that stuff. So he's going to have to clear all that. But for me, if to, for Tony to keep Ross in that discussion – that, that gives me a lot of optimism as well that, you know, maybe we're not done with Justin Ross just yet in terms of projecting him to the NFL. His talent is awesome. So just seeing him kind of fit in there on the back end of round one, just good to see because I feel like he's kind of a forgotten man uh, in terms of the NFL draft at this point. Uh, the Packers taking a receiver, it seems like. It's finally, <laughs> finally due. They didn't take one last year. It's not their style. I don't think they've taken a first-round receiver since Javon, Javon Walker, Walker. Yeah, about right. 15 years ago. And my last takeaway – you know, every now and then when leagues step in for competitive balance and stop things, like, you know, the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers, they, they put a kibosh on that. The Chiefs taking a Monroe St. Brown. It's almost like timeout, timeout, hold on. You got to start allocating some resources to the defense here. Stop adding weapons to this offense. It's getting out of hand. You had McCole Hardman. You, yeah. know, you already have Tyreek Hill. You had Clyde Edwards Hilaire, another prolific slot receiver, a Monroe St. Brown. He's a 4 4 gadget player. Just uh, just adding to the track team out there in Kansas City. Embarrassment of riches, for sure, yes. if that were to, to take place. <laughs> All right, let's go uh, under the hood here, Ben, and talk about uh, some of the traits that matter most to us when we're evaluating uh, the starting running back. And this is kind of an interesting cons- uh, discussion because people talk about running back value and the positional value in the draft and in free agency, but then there gets, you get into what you're looking for on the field and who you want to be your primary back. It's going to look a little bit different depending on your scheme, but – Overall, just um, overarching umbrella you know, discussion here, what's the number one trait that you're looking for in your starting running back? You know, it is an interesting position to evaluate because, you know, the, it's very divisive on whether you should draft them. It's divisive on whether you should pay them. Um, it's always, you know, you're getting an exciting influx of running backs every year in the draft. Yet you still have the veterans around the league, whether it's, you know, the Frank Gores or, you know, even to the late 2000s, like Thomas Jones and guys like that just seem like they played forever. Mm. And there's so many different styles. You know, you have your point of entry back, that runway 
back. That's more of a gap scheme, downhill type of guy. You want to give him a defined point of entry into the line of scrimmage. Or is he a line of scrimmage decision maker? A guy with good start-stop, a guy that can feel his way through zone, make a cut. You know, there's different strokes for different folks and different schemes. Or, you know, scat backs. You know, those are the ones that are primarily releasing, not in pass protection. That's kind of the, the new age, third down gadget back that you want to involve in the pass game. And then there's some backs that specialize in pass protection. And, you know, that's what they do. They're essentially that sixth offensive lineman or another tight end back there, and you're staying in the pass pro. But one of the traits I need first and foremost, Fran, and I kind of group these all together, vision, feel, and just general instincts. Mm. You got to have a natural running ability, a feel for holes opening, a feel for setting up blocks, a feel for defender flow, defender leverage. A lot of that is really natural instinct based. And I don't want to say it's something you're born with. It's kind of just developed through practice and repetition and experience. But those three collectively, the vision, the feel, and just your natural instincts as a runner, first and foremost, is what I need. I think that I 100% agree with that, and it's funny. Because I, with when it comes to that discussion about is that a natural thing or can you improve? I feel like I've asked so many ball carriers this over the years. Like, it's like quarterback yeah, accuracy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like exactly. That. Can you teach it, and then every now and then, when just when you're ready to say it's so ingrained in you, our quarterback coach says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. No, there's a reason for accuracy." And it's like, all right, well, all right, then it is a you know a functional technique thing. And, I feel like a lot of the running backs I'll ask, like if, if the guy is like, you know, has been like knocked for his vision in the past and like, it, they'll, they'll say, Oh yeah, it can improve. It definitely improve. And then guys where it's like, Oh, there's no question about this guy's vision. He's, you know, you talk about like, you know, LaShawn McCoy and guys that uh, are just like uh, absolute like creators behind the line of scrimmage. And you say, Oh no, you're born with that. <laughs> like there's always like right. those, those <laughs> conversing feelings there. But um, I feel like that bleeds into what mine is. And that's the ability to create your own yards because there's so many different ways that that can happen. And vision is a part of that. If you're decisive in the hole, you are uh, you know, making sure that you are able to get downhill, create some yards. But then after that point, are you going to do it with burst, running away from uh, potential defenders or racing angles and stuff like that in the hole and at the second and third level? Uh, are you going to run through first contact? Do you have that contact bounce, that natural power, the ability to you know, run with forward lean and get through that first defender? Do you have that wiggle in the hole to be able to kind of shake a guy one-on-one and make a first man miss? There are lots of different ways that backs can create their own yardage. There's a lot of different uh, tools in the toolbox there, but I need you to be able to do that. If you're going to be the starting running back, I need you to create your own yards if you're going to be viewed as that kind of guy and I think that's where the conversation about uh, running back value comes into play is that you can get replacement level play at that position and you can find that you can find a guy that can just come in and, and get the yards that your offensive line is going to block for and yeah and keep chugging but if you're going to be that guy if you're going to be my guy as a starting running back I want you to be able to create your own yards and I think to me that that's the number one thing in my book Well, you're making me hop around the rundown here, Fran, because what you just said is, you know, you could plug in a guy to get the yards the place blocked for, but if you want to be the guy. So that's really saying, are you good or are you great? And I really think the ones that can get those extra yards or get more than the play is blocked for, create for yourself, make the first man miss, all those elements of doing it for yourself in my opinion, is what separates the good from the great players, which we're going to touch on in the next section here. Yep. But uh, one of just the ingrained traits, and I keep combining these traits because running back is such a 
such a just a collection of uh, abilities and skill sets. So I'm going to combine balance and quickness. Yep. So that balance in your ability to make cuts and turn the corner while changing directions, and then obviously your contact balance and how you handle contact and being it being tackled, but the quickness as well, and that's your decision-making quickness. That's your ability to get in and out of breaks quickness. That's your ability to accelerate and show that explosiveness in a, in a quick manner or your elusiveness in the open field quickness. So I think your ability to have balance and quickness as a running back are both very important in combination. And I don't really think you can survive with just one of those. I think it's very much a hybrid type of trait. And for me, my I 100% agree, and it really banks off of what my second one was, which was the, the creating your own yards. My third one, just the ability to be a three-down ball carrier. And you, we talk about this all the time. It's not just pass catching. It's also pass protecting. If, if you're going to be the guy, that means you're going to be out there all three downs. I need to be able to count on you on those passing downs, on third down. Can you either be a, a matchup player in the pass game and you know be able to impact all three levels, or are you – I shouldn't even say or. And I also need you to be able to hold up against the blitz. Can you, can you pick through the trash, know what your assignment is, and then be able to execute the block? You know, a certain amount of willingness is, is needed there, but also you know, the technique and the play strength uh, to follow that up as well. So uh, to me, it's vision, creating your own yards, and then that ability to be a three-down ball carrier. Uh, those are my three. What's your third one? Yeah, I had all the other traits in here. It's like, do I need someone to have good hands or the versatility to contribute in the pass game? Oh, the blocking is important too. You know, uh, pass protecting, obviously, or you actually run blocking as well with some of these schemes that quarterbacks, uh, yep. you know, running or maybe pony personnel with two tailbacks and you have to lead block for somebody. I also need durability. You know, I need you to be tough. I need you to be reliable. And that's such a wear and tear position. It's pretty much why this divisive conversations come about on whether you should draft them, whether you should pay them, where do you draft them. But I'm just going to go with the power, the strength, the finish. You know how much we love watching the end of runs, Fran, falling forward, finishing your runs consistently. Man, you have 20 carries, you fall forward on 20 carries, it's essentially 30 extra yards. It's one and a half extra yards every time you fall forward. So there's a lot of aspects of power and strength from, you know, uh, lower half, you know, your leg drive, you know, through contact, your power and strength just through the, uh, the contact point of being tackled. It's a lot of aspects of being powerful. And we're not breaking any news here. Vision, feel, instincts, balance, quickness, power, strength. Yeah, we want that out of every player in the locker room, obviously. But the running back position, it seems to get profiled and heightened uh, so much more. Yeah, I think that that flows perfectly. It's funny, you said you jumped around the rundown a little bit when talking about what separates the elite from the good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You jumped around the rundown. Well, you right? were the I, one that I, took I... us there. I mean, <laughs> you were the one that, that, that did it. To me, what you just said is, to me, what separates the elite from the good because if we're talking about who are the guys that um you know are the foundation pieces of their offense right the offense runs through them nick chubb derrick henry even like christian mccaffrey these are different skill sets but what is it about you will just say those three guys that sets them apart it's their toughness their physicality their competitiveness their ability to say yeah i can take on 25, 26, 27 touches in a game, week in, week out, every single week, run the ball through me or, you know, throw in McCaffrey's case, like give me touches everywhere and the, the offense can run through me. You need that 
intangible quality of that toughness, that competitiveness, that uh, that physicality. You need that in order to be that foundation because there are plenty of good backs in the league. You can go down the list. There are plenty of guys that you would say, yeah, like this guy's a lead ball carrier in the NFL right now, and he does a good job of it. He's, a, he's He can be the guy. But if you're going to be the foundation piece, I need you to be like, you know, to have that certain level of physicality and toughness uh, to be the guy. It's, you know, you, you go to Ezekiel Elliott early in his career, the first three, four years, you know, he had the keep feeding him the football because you know he can handle it. He's got the, you know, the ability to handle that kind of a load. I need that. Uh, and that to me is the, the, the separating quality between those guys that are, uh, you know, good players, quality starters, but from the elite. Yeah, there's so many different ways to go about this for me. It's like, is the elite player the one that has scheme versatility? I could run some zone stuff with him and the point of entry stuff, the power stuff. He can produce in short yardage. He's well-rounded. He can contribute in the pass game. Or do I just need that person that's elite in one of those categories? Like LaShawn's ability to start, stop, and find visions and lanes. Derrick Henry's an elite point of entry back. You know, he's a great power runner. Or is it McCaffrey and his ability to contribute in the pass game and just being well-rounded or Kamara? You know, so there's a lot of different ways to kind of talk through what's a good versus elite. Um, and just, again, we, you know, we talked about earlier, just creating more than the play is blocked for, creating for yourself, making that first guy miss, I think a lot of times separates those good from elites. When the play is blocked beautifully, sure, there's going to be a hole right there and go run on through it. Whether you're a 4-4 running back or a 4-6 running back, you're probably going to hit that hole. Um but it's when the play isn't blocked properly, when something breaks down, when somebody misses a block, when you're outnumbered or a play blows up in the backfield, can you make something happen? And I think that's really what separates the, uh, the good running backs from the greats. And the, the thing that makes it such an interesting discussion is because the, the, the diversity in schemes all around the league kind of, you know, that can lend us some, some variety in terms of who are the primary backs, who are the featured parts of the offense. You, talk, you look at Christian McCaffrey and you look at Derrick Henry and you line them up next to each other in you know, shorts and a T-shirt, you wouldn't believe that they play the same position, right? They, they do the same things because they don't, they don't, they, they're completely different from that standpoint. But uh, you know, they still have that quality to be able to be the focal point, uh, I think is really interesting. Who are the guys? And we, we talk about a few, we talk about a few of them you know, on a pretty consistent basis. But who are the guys that we could talk about and say, yeah, like in, in this draft, this guy could be the focal point of an NFL offense. Is there that guy in your mind? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I think I, I see a, a lot of intriguing players. I see ones with a lot of ability. I see ones that stack ability in certain areas better than others, whether you're a, a pass game gadget back or a power runner, or you know maybe I just think you're kind of a B-plus all the way around, but I don't think you're that A-plus, you know, A, uh, elite back in every category. I'm not really sure, but I think there's a lot of talent to be used, and I think that's okay. Um, and I think NFL offensive coordinators are okay with that too. They're going to find ways to accentuate whatever your skill set is and whatever whatever you're good at. I'm hoping they put you in positions to use it. Yeah, I think it's it's tough to be able to say like, yeah, I I really feel any of these guys are going to be the the focal point. But I'll tell you what, like, I didn't necessarily view Dalvin Cook as that kind of player, right? So. One guy that I feel it compares comparatively or compares. Uh, well, before we go to names, though, Fran, like we're out of the '90s era of like, uh, oh, can he can he hold a rock for 30 times a game for us type of deal? It's like I don't think we have to envision this three down, 
never come off the field back anymore. It's almost like, are you great in an area that we can use? And we need a hopper of playmakers in our, you know, in our locker room. It's not enough to just be the guy, be the focus, especially running back in today's NFL. I think it's just too easy, easy to erase uh, just being the primary focal point of the offense. But like, what is, it's such a fun conversation. So like, look at a guy that the Eagles are playing the Green Bay Packers this week. They're going to see Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was a sixth round pick uh, out of UTEP. You studied him. Would, did you watch him at UTEP and think like, this could be the guy that, that he has become in today's NFL? I did. I thought he was an explosive runner that was productive in a variety of schemes. UTEP actually ran a very pro style scheme. So you could see him kind of navigate through the tackles perimeter, very interesting pass game stuff as well. But I never look at it like, he needs to be the focal point of the offense. He needs to get 25, 30 touches a game. It's still a, he should get 20 touches, 15, you know, runs, five in the pass game. And that's really how I feature my best player on offense these days. Yeah, I, I go back and forth on because that. Like, but then again, Derek Henry gets 30 exactly touches a right. game and he exactly. goes to the FC Championship game. And, so. and Nick Chubb, I mean, you look at Nick Chubb and what he's been for that. And I'm sure the Giants are trying to do that with Saquon and exactly. X, Y, and Z. Yep. And when you look at what Dallas was with, with Ezekiel Elliott over there, they're not that right now because, um, you know, the, just the change in philosophy. But, you know, with, when Jason Garrett was in Dallas, like that, that offense went through Zeke, right? Or for the, especially yeah. for the first couple of years of his career. So, um, well, teams also have issues that decide to pay the quarterback and the running back, like Minnesota. Right. You paid Cook, you paid Cousins. Is Dallas going to pay Dak and pay Zeke? Yep. You know, is it is it smart to have two thirty million dollar guy? You know, obviously the running back won't, but you're just allocating a lot of resources at a quarterback and the running back, and it's just it's a very interesting conversation of where to allocate your resources. And that's why I look at some of these guys that we've talked about in this class. You look at Travis Etienne, you know, the guy, he's got a Trump card, right? You look at Kenny Gainwell, he's got a Trump, Truba Hubbard, his break, breakaway speed reminds me of, watching him reminds me of Dalvin Cook. Can, why can't he just go, you know, go to the Minnesota Vikings in the second round and do what Dalvin Cook has done and insert right into that scheme? I look at Javante Williams and I, from, from North Carolina and say, man, this guy checks so many boxes. Why can't he come in and, be, and do what uh, Aaron Jones has done? Why can't Kenny Gainwell be what Aaron Jones has been for the Green Bay Packers? Like, it's, a, it's a fun conversation, and I feel like there, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to kind of look at it. Because I mean, you look at it, you talk to players all over the place, and they'll say, yeah, like that, that position is so important, and that's hard to replace. But then you look at this, and there's, like, there's so many backs every single year that come into the draft and say, like, yeah, like, this guy's got NFL ability. We can plug him into our offense and, and do a lot of the same things that our current player does now. It's a, it's a fun position to study. Yeah. I mean, we all know Najee Harris is the world. I think yeah, Jared right. Patterson's a really well-rounded player. Michael Carter, Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech has that great contact balance like a uh, Kareem Hunt. If you need a pass protector, a downhill guy, Master T to third Ohio State, a lot like Jordan Howard was at Indiana coming out. And we know what he is in the NFL. There's a place for that. All these gadget perimeter guys, the satellite backs, the Demetric Feltons at UCLA's, the Tyler Beatty at Missouri, these are third down backs, but they have places in the NFL. They're going to get involved in the pass game. You're going to try to isolate them on linebackers, all the misdirection stuff. Tyler Beatty might be a jet sweep guy, you know, at the next, you know, on Sundays, just like a Tyler Irvin is now for the Green Bay Packers. There's interesting roles now to fit all these kind of hybrid ball of clay skill sets that seem to really kind of fall under the running back umbrella. 
Yeah, and everybody is a little bit different schematically and philosophically in how they want to deploy their backs. If it's going to be a guy or if it's a, a true three-man committee, four-man committee, hey, we're going to you know have all these guys have specific roles. But again, that's what makes it a lot of fun to be able to evaluate and kind of project and see what a guy can do. That's really what you're trying to do with this position is figure out uh, for us on the outside, looking at all these players and evaluating all 32 teams. Yeah, you're trying to figure out what can a guy do? How can he help? Uh, you know, an and that's a great lesson for organizationally roster building. Don't tell me all he can't do. Tell me what he can do. Yep. Right. And then let's figure out what that value is as far as draft pecking order and if it fits our team. Yep. No question. Well, uh, Ben, as always, fun discussion. We'll be back with you uh, early next week. Got a little a bit of a fun surprise. I'm hoping we'll be able to unroll for Monday's episode, but uh, stay tuned. We'll hope to have you back. Uh, I hope to have you back. You'll be back <laughs> to break this all we'll down see. with us we'll on see. Monday. I'm not gonna, I, we can't put it in pen yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week here, Ben. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome here to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. For the very first time, Matt Brown, who is the staff editor over for The Athletic, covering college football. You can follow him on Twitter, just like I do, at MattBrownCFB. Matt, let's uh, let's get right into it, man. Really, Again, really appreciate you joining us here on the show. And I got to ask you, like, uh, one of the things I love asking uh, everybody that comes on the show is p- specific players that stand out to you. Who is the one guy this year above the rest who – kind of caught your eye as just being a special player, a blue-chip talent uh, that has kind of separated himself that maybe you didn't expect to be doing that coming into the year. i got to admit that I was not a believer at all in Kyle Trask coming into Mm. the year, and now he might win the Heisman. Uh, So I'm sorry to Kyle Trask. I thought he was like an (laughs) all-SEC pick in the preseason by default. Like, because the SEC just didn't look like it was returning a lot of talent at quarterback. And all of a sudden, now we're talking about, you know, Florida and Alabama with quarterbacks who one of them will probably win the Heisman. So it's, I think the conversation has changed a lot there. And it, it was easy to kind of doubt Trask as a guy who didn't even start in high school uh, because of Derek King, who's now at Miami. And, you know, I, I still think there's some limitations in Trask's game. Like, I don't think he's going to be, like, he's not in the category of Trevor Lawrence or Justin sure. Fields or even Zach Wilson at BYU. But, you know, he's a guy who, and I, he certainly benefits from the offense he plays in. And Dan Mullen's one of the best play callers in the country puts him in position to succeed but you know there's more of an arm than I thought for Kyle Trask and it's not just having Kyle Pitts at his disposal you know Kyle Pitts was out for a few games Trask still performed at a really really high level so you know 71 percent 2800 yards 34 touchdowns three interceptions has taken that offense to another level it's just kind of remarkable to to see that rise from high school backup to potential Heisman winner and a guy who, you know, could find himself in the first round. If not, I think he's, you know, a solid second-round type guy who has greatly exceeded my expectations. And it's funny, I was actually studying Trask this morning, and, you know, I studied him over the summer going off of last year, and, you know, it's well-documented, that you know, the, the lack of experience that he had coming into that. You mentioned a, a high school backup behind De'Ara King, who was also a big-time, uh, you know, high school recruit. But you look at Trask, and, and the thing that stood out to me from the summer was that, you know, the, despite that limited experience, he came in with all this comfort and feel inside yeah. Dan Mullen's system. And this year, he, that's just exponentially even more. I mean, he just looks so comfortable. Uh, the poise is there. The touch to all areas of the field, really, really impressive. But you brought up a name that if someone had asked me the question, I would have said, like, you know, uh, to uh, Zach Wilson and BYU. Uh, real quickly, before we get to the next question, I mean, how surprised are you at what Zach Wilson has been able to put on display? Uh, obviously, a really weird schedule uh, with BYU. 
this year kind of getting turned on its head due to COVID-19. But thoughts on Zach Wilson and, uh, you know, what you've seen from him so far. Yeah, you know, BYU's offense was such a mess only a couple of years ago. It was weird that they, uh, you know, dug themselves in a huge hole with Ty Detmer as their offensive coordinator. When you right. think about Ty Detmer, you think of Heisman winner, you know, the height of BYU's offense, but it was kind of a disaster as their offensive coordinator. And now, a few years later, Zach Wilson's come out and, you know, put up, it's like Joe Burrow-like numbers. Now, it's not against the teams Joe Burrow was facing. BYU's schedule kind of got decimated by... Uh, you know, the cancellations and non-conference games this year, but still you can't say enough about what Wilson's done as just, you know, complete sleeper who efficient, mobile, eight rushing touchdowns this year, 26 passing touchdowns. You know, it's just that offense has come alive. And I really think, you know, I think they're being very much devalued by the college football playoff selection committee. I think if you watch this team, they're really good at the line of scrimmage, really good defensively. And then Wilson is an elite quarterback. And I did not expect that at all. So now, when you said I mentioned somebody you were going to mention, I thought you were going to say Mac Jones, too. Yeah. <laughs> who it, it's just this quarterback group is just deeper than we thought it was going to yeah. be. And Mac Jones was a guy who, you know, if I didn't say uh, Trask, I was going to say him because we came in thinking, ah, you know what, maybe he'll start the first few games, but they have this five-star who's the next two in, in Bryce Young. Yep. And he's not going to hold Bryce Young off. And it turns out Mac Jones is also putting up like Joe Burrow-like numbers. Now, he's got great supporting talent, obviously, but it's kind of remarkable to see these guys kind of rise when you know they were kind of dismissed as, I don't know, kind of middle-of-the-road talents who are, are game manager types, and clearly they are uh, far far better than that. One of the things I love talking to uh, college football people that cover college football, whether it's you know on TV, they do color commentary, if they, whether they write about it, the guy, I think there's a little bit of a separation between who are the guys that are uh, covering college football versus you know analyzing the NFL draft and projecting to the next level. So I want to ask you, as somebody who uh, you know covers the college game, who is the guy that you're surprised just like isn't getting more buzz when it comes to uh, the NFL draft talk, or not on uh, you know Dane's big board, or on Mel Kuyper's mock draft, or Todd McShay, or Daniel Jeremiah? Who's a guy uh, that kind of stands out to you? We'll start on the offensive side that you feel like, man, like. I'm not surprised we're just not hearing this guy's name more often. My answer might be like a week too late because all of a sudden everybody knows who he is now. But on offense, I just love Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo so sure. much. And it was before he rushed for 400 yards against Kent State. <laughs> like, certainly that helped. And now he's you know going to get more notice. But he's still kind of probably a sleeper type in terms of the NFL draft just because of his size, you know, where he plays. You know, Obviously, he had huge holes to run against Kent State last week and yep. it's a product of Kent State's defense being awful. And, you know, Buffalo has a pretty good offensive line as well. But even, even last year when Buffalo played Penn State and Patterson averaged like three yards per carry in that game. So, you know, maybe you say that's a red flag. But I, I still recall watching that game and saying, this guy runs really, really hard for somebody who's, 5'9", 195 pounds, who was, you know, a completely overlooked recruit. Uh, my colleague at The Athletic, Chris Vanini, wrote a story last week about Patterson. And, uh, you know, he was like a package deal with his brother uh, mm-hmm. who plays linebackers, Buffalo's leading tackler. And yep. people were unwilling to take both of them. His brother was the more highly recruited player. And they found a home at Buffalo. And, you know, now Patterson, you know, has rushed for over 700 yards the last two games, set a record for two-game rushing second best rushing performance in, in FBS history. Uh, you know, first, second person ever with back-to-back 300-yard games joining Ricky Williams. So, look, I don't think he's going to be this, you know, necessarily a bell cow guy who's going to get, you know, 20 carries or game in the NFL. But, you know, there's a – and I would like to see more from him in the passing game given his size. But, 
He runs hard, uh, tough to bring down for a guy of his size, has speed, has breakaway ability. I think he's going to be a fun player in the NFL. Yeah, I remember when Brandon Oliver was at Buffalo and you're just like watching me. You're like, man, like I just love the way this guy runs. But yeah. uh, you didn't kind of project him to be that way. I have not studied Patterson yet uh, outside of just seeing the highlights and just watching him run all over people the last couple of weeks. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, a guy that's been a really fun player to watch. And for fans that have seen those highlights, you may wonder why does – he have J-A-R Patterson on the back of the jersey. So as you mentioned, his brother is on the other side. He's also a J-A name. Uh, so he's got the you know J-A Patterson, and his brother, obviously, Jarrett's got the J-A-R. Who's a guy on defense uh, that you feel just deserves a little bit more credit, a little bit more buzz uh, when projecting the next level? Yeah, he might have gotten lost after he tore his ACL, but James Wiggins from Cincinnati, the safety. Mm, yep. This is a really good Cincinnati defense. Like They're well-coached. It's not just a great group of five defense. It is a really good defense, period. Uh, you know, on defense this year, they're giving up 5.5 yards per pass attempt, five touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And Wiggins is a guy who's been on uh, my colleague Bruce Feldman's freaks list a couple yep. times, uh, known for great strength. Tore his ACL, missed last season, and then made like a ridiculous like, quick comeback where he wanted to play in the bowl game last year, like four or five months after tearing his ACL and he's picked up where he left off uh, according to sports info solutions he's given up 10 catches on 31 targets this year for 76 yards now he's part of a really good Cincinnati secondary uh, Ahmad Gardner who's a sophomore not even draft eligible yet yep. I think is a superstar cornerback for Cincinnati all-america candidate but Wiggins should be on all-america lists too this year and you know there's a number that said he's given up like nothing he's playing for a great defense he's kind of you know, the veteran heart and soul of that defense who's had a really great career. So uh, he's somebody that I've enjoyed watching, really enjoy watching that defense, and I think he could end up being kind of a steal for somebody in the NFL draft. No question. And obviously this has been a, a unique season with everything going on with COVID-19 and game cancellations and reschedulings and, you know, some of the best players not opting, not just opting out preseason, but also midseason as well. Of the guys that did not play a down this year due to COVID-19, that opted out um, you know, and are moving forward to the NFL or even just going back to school for next year, is there a guy that did not play this year that you just miss watching on Saturdays? I'm going to give kind of a – let my biases show a little bit here because I am a <laughs> Penn State grad. And, I mean, it's the obvious answer, but Michael Parsons. I mean, it's – the guy – was a you know a high school defensive end and running back and was clearly raw when he got to Penn State and he only started one game as a freshman and he still led the team in tackles mm. and then obviously last year he just took such a huge step forward and you know even when he you know he can be an undisciplined player but he makes up for it because even when he makes a mistake he often would get back in position just because of his raw athletic ability I mean he's just a superstar athletically and as he you know, I'm, I just wish we could have seen him another year in college just because his knowledge of the game, his awareness, field awareness only was going to keep growing and growing and growing. And they started using him in more ways, you know, using him as a pass rusher more. We didn't see a lot as a freshman. They started using him more last year. And he had ended up with 14 tackles for loss, 109 tackles. He had that huge game in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. And it's like, you know, coming in, you know, out of that game, it's like, wait a second, he's like going to get some Heisman buzz as a defensive player. Mm. And, you know, who knows where Penn State would be with if, you know, the pandemic didn't happen, if Parsons didn't opt out, you know, Journey Brown, if he was healthy, who knows where Penn State would be? Certainly not, you know, 0 and 5 or 1 and 5, but I don't know if they would have been as good as we thought they would be. But, you know, Parsons was the best defensive player in the country, I think, coming back. So to, to not see him kind of continue to grow into that role, you know, he's still probably going to be a top 10 pick in the draft, but 
as fun a player as you can you can watch on defense. I've certainly missed watching them this year. Yeah, Penn State obviously very impacted by that loss, and uh, another team that has been impacted by guys that have opted out. You know, you look at LSU. You know, Jamar Chase, and uh, yeah. you know, they lose uh, the the kid on the back end, the safety. They lose a defensive tackle, and Tyler Shelvin. Um, so I think you look at that team. They've certainly lost some players. They've got a big game this week though against Alabama. One of the uh, the games that typically everybody circles on the college football calendar now will be played, was postponed a couple weeks ago. Who's a player or a matchup that you're going to have your eyes on uh, when you turn this game on on Saturday? Yeah, who, who would think that like college game day would be at Coastal Carolina on the weekend of Alabama-LSU, <laughs> but that's where we are with LSU this year. Yep. But we know that LSU is still a really talented team. Like, sure. you know, they're three and four, but they recruit so well. And there's still some stars on that team. So, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to – the obvious matchup this weekend of Devontae Smith and Derek Stingley. Uh, you know, Stingley had his worst game last year as a freshman against Alabama. According to Sports Info Solutions, he gave up five of five catches for 211 yards, two touchdowns last year. This was a guy who wasn't All-American as a freshman, but kind of got burned by Alabama and more, more specifically Devontae Smith, who had seven catches for 213 yards, two touchdowns in that game. You know, I talked about Mac Jones earlier, but, you know, if I was voting for the Heisman, in our staff poll at the athletic last week, I voted Devontae Smith number one. Wow. I just think he's probably the best player on Alabama. And he's a guy who, you know, everybody knew his name because he had the national championship winning touchdown against right. Georgia way back when, but he kind of fell. He was kind of overlooked. Then, you know, Alabama had two top 15 picks at wide receiver last year in Henry Ruggs and, and Jerry Judy and Smith still uh, led the team in receiving yards. And it was like, well, you know, a lot of teams are focusing on Judy. Maybe, you know, Devontae Smith isn't getting as much attention. And now we look at this receiving core. Uh, Jalen Waddle got hurt, and they still have talent there, but Smith is the guy. And without Jalen Waddle, he's had 203 yards against Mississippi State, 144 yards against Kentucky, and 171 yards against Auburn. Those aren't necessarily all great teams, but those are good defenses. Yep. And he's absolutely destroying everybody. And – so can't be more excited to see him go up against a guy like Stingley, who hasn't quite had the seat like LSU hasn't had the season. Anybody expected dealt with an injury, but still really talented, still a potential first round pick when we talk about 2022. Uh, and this is the kind of matchup you just love to see a receiver against a cornerback. So it, it's, you know, not the game we thought, but I think between that and also, uh, Jabril Cox, the North Dakota State yep. transfer, playing linebacker for LSU, really talented guy, and has a really tough matchup on his hands with Najee Harris from Alabama at running back. So still some really fun individual matchups, even if I expect Alabama to win this game by like four touchdowns. Yeah, I, I kind of see it the same way. as a big reason why I talked about Smith and Stingley uh, earlier in the show as well. Matt, really, really appreciate you joining us uh, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Thanks so much. Stay safe, stay healthy. Hope to talk to you again soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, back for another edition of Pick 6 is my buddy Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, you had a big week last week, man. You picked up three games on me. You had four picks correct uh, in our picks last week. You took, uh, you took Stanford over Cal. You took the over with the Mac Jones touchdown, touchdown throws uh, in the Iron Bowl over Auburn. And then you took the under on North Carolina running backs breaking 80 yards rushing against Notre Dame. You hit your upset special in Rutgers over Purdue. It was a big week for you, man. I was looking forward to it early because uh, I took Penn State over Michigan. I was like, all right, this is a good, good way to start. 
Uh, things just kind of unraveled from there, but you picked up three games on me. I now have a three-game lead on you, so if you repeat what you did last week, we'll have a uh, tie ball game in week 14. Can you believe, Fran, you knowing me, that the one I lost to you <laughs> was me taking Michigan and you taking Penn State? I mean, I've watched every snap of Penn State football for years now. I do a local thing in central Pennsylvania, and uh, you know what? Kudos. Penn State played very well. They they dominated that game. They deserved to win. And they look more like the team I think a lot of people thought they'd look like this year, even though they don't have Micah Parsons, Journey Brown, Pat Fryermuth, three of their, I guess, projected four first-round picks. What do you think is the biggest loss for them of that group? Micah Parsons. Really? Their, their defense, their linebackers have not played very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and – they lost Jan Johnson, Cam Brown, and Mike. So they lost all three starting linebackers. Right. And they have a lot of heavily recruited kids and who had, some of them had played a little bit. So I, I thought they'd play better mm-hmm. than they would. You know, they've been, you know, Journey Brown's a huge loss. Sure. Friermuth being hurt the last couple of games hurts. But Micah just, he, he has a real knack for making difference-making, game-changing plays. You know, there's guys that have ability, Fran, and they – can make a lot of tackles, but that guy, it seemed like every week he would make one or two plays that kind of were the difference in the game. And I just think if they had him, everything else, you know, would, you know, then they'd have him to rush the passer in addition to uh, Shaka Tony and Jason Awe. It just, it would really add a lot to their defense. Yeah, he's uh, certainly a special physical talent. Uh, I'm excited to see ultimately how he transitions to the next level. Uh, obviously one of the top prospects in this class. All right, let's get to uh, this weekend's slate of games here, Ross. And the first one I wanted to go, Big 12. Really, this is a big one for the conference here because you got some uh, championship game implications here. TCU, Oklahoma State. Who do you like in this one? Both of these teams are a little bit hot right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Oklahoma State. Uh, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is their defense has been much better this year than they have been other years. And I happen to be friends with their defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, who is from Philly, by the way, went to St. Joe's prep, played in high school with, uh, I think, Rich Gannon, maybe, and then played in college at Cornell with Marty Stallone from Wyoming. So, he did a great job with their defense. When's the last time you talked about a defense in the Big 12? But they've been pretty good on that side of the ball. So I'll take Oklahoma State to get it done against TCU. Yeah, they certainly got off to a hot start. It's the last like couple weeks they're starting to give up a little bit more on the scoreboard. But ultimately, I think when you look at the big picture, certainly that defense has turned things around. I'm going to go with TCU and that offense right now. Is really hot. I'm pretty sure the last three or four games, at least, they've put up at least 35 points. Um, you know, they're putting points on the scoreboard, and you know, they've got a couple guys that uh, are certainly making big plays. The guy that I want you guys to keep an eye on, though, at home, if you're watching this game, is the TCU tight end Pro Wells. Uh, he's an underclassman. Early reports are that he might enter the draft. Our friend Tony Pauline had put that out, I believe, a week or two ago. Uh, Pro Wells. Uh, Athletic kid, certainly more of a pass catcher and a spread out TCU offense. Not a lot of experience as an inline blocker, but when you look at his ability to make plays in the passing game, I keep an eye on Pro Wells, especially once they get in that strike zone of you know inside the 25, 30 yard line. Uh, keep an eye on the versatile tight end. So uh, I will take TCU there. We'll go opposite ways on the first game. Second one, we're going to go West Coast. Hopefully this game is played. UCLA 
who they're, they're turning things around there early on this season. They, they look uh, to be a lot better than what they've done over the last couple of years. Versus Arizona State, a team that has not played in the last few weeks due to uh, COVID-19. Uh, who do you like here, Ross? I'm going to go Arizona State. Uh, I'm nervous about it because of the long layoff. I mean, what have they played? One game all year? Yeah. Have they yep. played more than that? They played USC in the opener. That was it. Well, here's the thing, though. They were the better team in that game. Yeah. They should have won that game. Now, I'm nervous about the long layoff for sure, but I'm going Arizona State. They've got a bunch of talent there. I know UCLA has been better this year, but I also know that a lot of Eagles fans are listening to this. <laughs> and I'm not picking Chip Kelly. I'm not picking UCLA because I'm loyal to my Eagles fans. Arizona State, Herm Edwards, and the Sun Devils. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't go wrong going with Herm Edwards. Uh, I will actually, because of that long layover and because of what UCLA has done over the last couple of weeks, I am going to go with the uh, with the UCLA. I think you look at Demetric Felton. Uh, we've talked about him a number of times here on the show. Uh, going to the Senior Bowl as a receiver. He is a converted receiver playing running back but he is dynamic with the ball in his hands as a runner this year. Uh, what he's done from a production standpoint has been really impressive. Uh, I'm going to say that Demetric Felton is the X factor here against a, a team that you, know, you, you would expect a little bit of rust. I think Herb Edwards said this week, it's almost like it's another opener for them because they haven't played uh, basically in a month. Uh, I will take the, the Bruins here in this one out west. So two games down, we are on the opposite side of two games. This could be a big swing week for us here. Let's see how the rest of this one goes. Uh, I'm going to go with an either or. I haven't done one of these in a while. Total points that Mac Jones accounts for in this game. So we're going to Alabama quarterback Mac Jones or their margin of victory over LSU. Obviously, this is always one of the biggest games on the college football calendar. LSU a little bit down this year, but what do you like? Total points that Mac Jones accounts for. So touchdowns are six points, not seven. or the Alabama margin of victory over LSU. What's the higher number? I'm going Mac Jones. He was good to me last week. He's going to be good to me again this week. Um, I think Mac Jones, you know, he's going to have three or four touchdowns, at least throwing and or running. And I'm not sure Alabama wins by that many points. So I'll take Mac Jones. It's going to be a bunch. I don't know if I can go against Jones again after what I did last week. I, I took the under on three and a half touchdowns. What did he throw five last week against Auburn? Uh, I will go on the side of Mac Jones on this one. Although it wouldn't shock me if that margin is a little bit wider than we think. Remember what else? I mean, you know, there was all this stuff, you know, the, the post game videos from the locker room from LSU. I mean, Alabama is going to have a little bit of uh, there's there's going to be revenge on their minds I think uh, in this one so it wouldn't surprise me if they not run off the score but if they they put a couple extra points up on the board uh, at the end of this one let's go with the, the, our fourth game here Florida and Tennessee always a fun one uh, plenty of talent on the field here what do you like more Florida's margin of victory over the Vols or Kadarius Tony's yards per catch in this game this is a, a little bit of an interesting one here oh man I thought. I thought when you sent me the notes ahead of time, Fran, I thought it was yards per carry. <laughs> oh, that would change things a little bit. That would change the math a bit. <laughs> well, you know, because they give them the ball. They yes, give they them do. the ball on, like, the jet yeah. sweep and reverses and stuff. Oh, now I got to think about this one a little bit because I was thinking, all right, their margin of victory, you know, he averaged, like, seven yards per carry. That's pretty good. But, ooh, that changes things a little bit because he's averaging 12 yards per catch this season that's right um i'll go i'll go tony i'll say he has a uh, a couple of big catches i'll go i'll go tony's yards per catch i'll go the other way i thought it was yards per carry that's funny yards per catch Kadarius yeah. tony 
that's why I was looking at it. I was like, all right, if I go yards per per carry, that's an easy one. You're gonna go, you're gonna go with the margin. But I feel like if it's the yards per catch, that kind of changes it a little bit. Uh, I will still stick with the margin though. I just feel um, you know, Tennessee, we talked about them, and it's like there's there's talent at all three levels on that defense, but I mean, I just look at what Florida is doing, how well they're executing. I think back to, you know, even the, what they did against Georgia and some of the other good defenses they played this year, they're just executing at a high level. Just this morning, I was watching more Kyle Trask uh, on film, and, um, you know, he looks accurate this year. He looks even more comfortable than he did a year ago, his first year as a starter. Uh, you know, what, what he's able to – his touch and his accuracy is really, really impressive. Uh, he's working with bodies around him. He's not a great athlete, and so I think that's going to kind of limit the, the discussion with him when we talk about his projection to the NFL and to, in today's game. But ultimately, I mean, his accuracy, his poise, his touch uh, – Really, really good, and he's really comfortable in that Dan Mullen scheme. Uh, I will take the Florida margin of victory over Tennessee. So uh, four games down, we're on opposite sides on three of them. Let's get to the final two here. This one I had to throw in, Ross, because uh, you went viral this week uh, with you pleading, just pleading with the Buffalo coaching staff to leave their star running back, Jared Patterson, in to break a bunch of records last week. So I got to ask you, the, the over-under here, 299 and a half rushing yards by Jared Patterson this week against Ohio U. He's broken 300 each of the past two weeks. Can he do it again for a third straight week? By the way, Fran, can you believe that they took him out? They didn't know. I I talked to their coach, Lance Leipold, after the game. He he legitimately didn't know. And he still had him in because it was 63-41. And last year – they were up 27-8 with eight minutes left to Kent State, and they lost. It was the biggest come-from-behind win in the FBS last year. So he was not about – at 63-41, he wasn't going to take the foot off the gas. But after Patterson got a couple more first downs on that drive and they knew they kind of had the game, they took him out. Oh, my God. friend! he was 19 yards away <laughs> from both all-time records forever. Nine touchdowns and 430 yards. And I was, you know, you get so excited. They bring him on the field. And I'm like, okay, they're keeping him in the game. They know what's going on. We're about to see history. We're going to see a record. We talked about the whole fourth quarter. I'm so excited. He gets the first two carries. They're at the 19. And then they take him out. I, I, I could not believe it. And Leipold's an awesome guy. He's an unbelievable coach, by the way. What he's up with that program there and – eight national championships or whatever it was, D3. But, oh, my gosh, I, I couldn't believe anybody that saw it at Ross Tucker NFL, I think you could tell I was um, surprised and not pleased. For many – for, like, multiple plays afterwards, you were like, all right, there's still time. They can put him back in the game. You were just pleading with them to get him back in, which was great. Um, that being said, what do you like this week? Do you think he cracks 300? I got to go under, man. I, I cannot predict the guy. I love Jared Patterson. Unbelievable kid, by the way. Unbelievable. I just can't predict a guy to have three straight 300-yard games. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be absurd. And if you're Ohio, please, can you please make Buffalo have to throw the ball against you? Their O-line, by the way, Buffalo's offensive line is awesome. Yeah. And, a, you know, a couple of his runs he wasn't even touched on. I just don't think Frank Solich is going to let them come in there and have a third straight 300-yard game. I'm going under. Dude, I, I'm taking the over. Like, I know at some point he's not going to do it, but he's just been so dominant the last two weeks. And with him just coming short of breaking that record last week, it's like, oh, you know what? 
maybe this week I won't run for 400. Maybe I'll just run for 305. And I'll, we'll, we'll call it a day after that. But uh, I'll take the over here uh, and see if he can crack three bill, three bills for the third straight week. All right, let's go to our upset special. We were opposite on five of six, uh, four or five play, uh, picks so far here, Ross. So this is a, a, certainly a big week. Who do you like, though? Who's your big upset special here this week in college football? I'm going Kansas State. Ooh. No hesitation. K-State, they're winning this game, Fran. This is my specialty is the upset special. Look, Texas just had two more guys leave to go to the NFL draft. Yep. Cosme, the left tackle. Who's the kid on defense? Do you know? Uh, I don't think it was Osai. I have, to, I, don't, I have to actually look and see who that, who that second Yeah, they had another kid. I can't remember. It, it was a safety, I think. or like, they, they had another guy on defense, I think, leave early. For the NFL, so Texas. Oh, okay. it was Caden Stearns, who was the the free safety, who's actually a pretty good player. I didn't see this. Okay, this was this was yesterday. Um, yes, right, that's, that's pretty big news. So they had two, and there's reports out as we're recording this that Urban Meyer is talking to Texas about the job, dude. That's not good. That, that yeah. I've been around stuff like that before. That's not a good sign. Kansas State's winning this game. That's my upset special. You've got two upset special picks that have hit in like the last uh, six weeks or so. So you are certainly hot from that standpoint. I've come very close on a couple, but have not been able to finish the job. Uh, we'll see if I can get one this week. Oregon State over Utah. Uh, I think Oregon State obviously coming off that big win in the Civil War against their rival Oregon. Uh, you know, they're you know maybe they're feeling themselves a little bit. You go in with some confidence against a Utah team that's got a lot of turnover on the defensive side. Obviously, from last year to this year, still kind of feeling their way. They had all the controversy with the defensive coordinator Nate Sally. And then on the offensive side, just trying to get get some uh, consistency at the quarterback position and find out who your playmakers are. I'm going to go with Oregon State here. Hamakar Rashid, the pass rusher from the Beavers, feel like he has a big game in this one. Uh, let's go Oregon State. We'll see if uh, I can come up with the win here. Um, this is a fun one, though, Ross. This will be a big one here uh, this week. We'll see if uh, you're able to overtake me. I mean, in theory, uh, if you if, if you go the right way on a couple of these, you could uh, take the lead here by the end of the weekend. Man, I hope so. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, Ross. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man. Sounds good, friend. Well, great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, from Matt Brown, from Ben Fennel, as always. Really hope you guys enjoyed this week of action here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We'll be back early next week, and guess what? A little bit of a surprise for you guys. I don't want to tip my hand a little bit too early, but we've got a, a good show I'm really, really excited about in the plans here for early next week. Make sure you tune in right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.